You're listening to Rosie on the House. Eight o'clock Saturday morning. That is the outdoor living hour here at Rosie on the House. Warm one today. It was already 92 when I got my vehicle this morning, and that was at 5.30. It was very warm. So I I think I just – if I could find a way to preserve watermelon rind, that would make a great insulator because even on a morning that starts at 92 degrees, you wait till the heat of the day, walk out there and cut out the open a watermelon. It's still going to be cold inside. It will be. Uh, this is Julie with Arizona Farm Bureau. I think, Romy, you've come up with the latest Rosie on the House invention for all of your uh, We need <laughs> home a preservative for watermelon rind. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And, Julie, with the Arizona Farm Bureau uh, melons, big harvest right now. We are, The state is a big producer for watermelons, and you brought a special guest. Are, would you – Charlie, are you a melon expert or melon head? I, I would well. call myself an expert by any means, uh, but we we grow it. We grow a little bit of them. Yeah. <laughs> Julie was saying last night about the number of pounds y'all will ship a day in full harvest, but she's like, that can't be right. I'm gonna have to ask him tomorrow. We're, we're pushing somewhere between two and two and a half million pounds a day. A day. Yeah. You were right, Julie. Two <laughs> million pounds of melons per day. Yeah. And Come. they started doing that in June, right? Yeah. Well, we. We're trying to come off a little earlier, uh, more like the end of May, but yeah, we I think we started this year about the first of June. The weather kind of pushed us back a bit, um, but yeah, we're we're in full full swing now, and, and we we had our Fourth of July uh, pull, and now we're hoping to wind down in the next ten days or so. Now, how long? Okay, next ten the, days. The volume, anyway. So mm-hmm. the volume will wind down. We'll, we'll go on until about the first uh, of August, somewhere around there. And where do two million pounds of melons make their way to? <laughs> I mean, that, I can't. Well, is that all consumed here locally? I wish it was. But our, our our focus really is the, the local local market. Um, we like we take a lot of pride in being the local producer. Uh, but but with the watermelon deal, it, it goes all directions. Even uh, we we follow Mexico, and then when Mexico wraps up, we we come into season for basically the month of June is our big window, and uh, so our watermelons are going into California. They're going up to Canada. They're going all over the United States. But uh, a lot of them do stay here. And what else do y'all pro- – what, what kind of melons are we producing? So we're producing watermelons, um, and then we also do the um, uh, mini personal melons. Um, that's kind of a, a smaller market, uh, and we do uh, those organically as well. What's a personal melon? So, so yeah, <laughs> Don't it, you it, know? You can name it and everything. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, a, it's a small size where it's uh, you know, the size of a cantaloupe or so, and uh, they call it a personal melon because you could – I imagine you could sit down and consume it all yourself. <laughs> I can finish a big one by myself. Yeah, I, it's not a – on a hot day, it, it, and it's not really filling. It's very refreshing. Right. Oh, your, your comment earlier about uh, cutting the watermelon open and, you know, it's 95 degrees outside and it's cold in the middle. That's that's very true. Uh, it's very refreshing to go out there in the morning and cut those. Now, when did we plant? So we start trans, – we transplant everything um, and we'll, we'll start about the middle, third week of February – um, in order to come off by the third week of May and in first uh, of June, and when you say transplant, so you start everything on in greenhouses and then you bring it out to the field. We do. We, we'll drop seed into the greenhouses. They'll they'll uh, grow grow the plant up to you know it's probably you know, three or four inches high or so, and then uh, 
then ship it up to us, and then we go through and, and have a semi-automated uh, transplanter that with people on it that are that are uh, dropping these plugs into the, into the machine and it drops them into the ground, spaces them out. And how many plugs does it take to then five months later produce two million pounds a day? <laughs> oh, I'd have, I'd have to do a little math on that one, but. Uh, you know, we're growing about almost 1,200 acres of watermelons, and, and oh, we have 30,000 or so per acre. Um, so it, it adds up pretty quick. And where are your growing fields? So our, our watermelon program is mainly based on, on the, the west side of the West Valley, kind of along uh, Loop 303, and then uh, um, a little bit in the Tolleson area as well. So, uh, Romy, I was—I forgot to warn Charlie that you would ask a, a numbers question, <laughs> but I think he handled that one really well. And the other fun thing, Charlie Montgomery, that I with Russo Farms that I would love for you to share. So, you thought you were going to get away from watermelons. What's your story growing up? Yeah. So, I, I actually uh, started in the watermelon deal uh, about the age of nine. Um, my mom worked for for a local grower and, and uh, as as her office manager. And uh, so she'd bring me in. I think it's more for daycare purposes that she made me work in the summer times. Uh, that was our situation too on the farm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, ever since I was nine till I, till I was eighteen, I was uh, uh, shipping watermelons, and I swore I'd never do it again. Went to college, went down to U of A, got a um, ag resource economics degree, and uh, and came back. And sure enough, uh, not soon thereafter, I was I was back in the watermelon world. <laughs> but I'm happy to be there. It grows on you. Yeah, ah, unintended. Ah, ah, ah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to call him the watermelon man. <laughs> now, what what kind of water volume does that take? Because I mean, you cut it open and it's very wet, it's very juicy. Is there any statistics on how many drops of water, gallons per water, that per melon? I don't I, have those. We we work pretty hard to to obviously be efficient with our water. Um, we we grow all of our watermelons on on drip. Um, used to be pretty common to, to furrow irrigate. But we, we found that drip works really well, so we'll we'll put in subsurface um, drip tape, and and uh, so we're we're, not, we're consuming far less water for the amount of watermelons you're really producing. I read one of the statistics is that it's ninety two percent water. An average size watermelon is ninety two percent of it is water. That sounds about right. Yeah. And how is it classified as both a fruit and the vegetable? Is it the 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 sweet stuff inside the fruit that everyone eats and the rinds the vegetable that no one that no one right. wants right <laughs> so every fruit the biggest identifier is the seeds are seeds are inside the actual fruit but in this case it gets the special designation because you can take the rind some people will chop up and stir fry the rind you can also pickle the rind you mentioned that earlier uh, there's all sorts of things that you can do with the rind to treat it like a vegetable but of course we love the center part of it the fruit that, that's chicken feed. For, yeah. Uh, our Ryan <laughs> is it a is G. also chicken <laughs> feed. <laughs> I was trying to be sophisticated here with my connoisseur uh, recipes and stuff like that, which, by the way, on Fill Your Plate, we have two uh, – feature two watermelon recipes. You can just search in recipes by watermelon. And the other Fill Your Plate feature is our blog. If you search watermelons on the blog, up will pop a boatload of articles. So there's all sorts of things that we're trying to – promote with watermelons and Russo Farms, one of our best growers of them. It's a pretty neat feature. How many different varieties? The couple times we've done melons, you go to select from the, the seeds at the nursery and you have a lot of options. We, there is. Uh, it, it, the variety really depends on, on the region that you're in. Um, we've got a, 
you know, go-to variety that we've depended on, and, and but they're constantly evolving. So you're constantly trialing new varieties. Um, it's always nice when you find that one that you that can be your workhorse, though, and, and uh, have a small percentage on the side that you're getting ready for the next evolution of, of, the, of that strain or that variety. And how how do you get a, a seedless watermelon? I mean, who's who's sitting there sucking the seeds out and <laughs> putting it all back together and packaging for the consumer? So the way it's always been told to me is is the the seedless is the is the thirteenth generation in the breeding process, which which is uh, creates a sterile melon, so there's no black seeds in it. So it actually it's a it's a female plant. So in order to to uh, pollinate, you need a male plant. So there's there's pollinators that we put in the field. We interplant um, in the field, and those are those are the males, and they they produce a small gourd-like melon um, with black seeds in it. Um, we don't harvest those. There's there's no no need to get those. We get plenty of the of the good stuff. <laughs> and Romy, to your numbers point, there's 200 to 300 different varieties of watermelons grown in the United States, but globally they say that number jumps to 1,200. So watermelon is grown all over the world. But we grow it really good here in Arizona. And July is National Melon Month. There is a pumpkin contest where every year at the Santa Rosie's uh, Heirloom Seed Festival, they have a pumpkin weighing contest. There's one here in Arizona. There's a giant pumpkin growing association. Do you all have a giant watermelon contest? We don't. Maybe we should. <laughs> It'd be kind of a fun deal to have, yeah. Well, we'll have to start a giant watermelon. Or maybe it's just too much fun to do the watermelon chucking. Can do that because uh, with the seedless, we can't do uh, seed spinning competitions anymore. So no, <laughs> that that takes it out. Well, you can go to the, the. Have you been to the melon chucking contest? Up I haven't. At, no. What used to be Young's Farm, now Mortimer's Family mm-hmm. Farm. They have a, a watermelon chucking. Nice. Have you taken the kids? We haven't. We've never made that that event. But I hear that occasionally the uh, the innocent bystander four legged cow. Uh, may may get splattered. False victim. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, we're joined with Julie Murphy of the Arizona Farm Bureau talking watermelons, and with you is Charlie from Russo Farm. Russo Com- Farming Company, yes. Russo Farming Company. Here at Rosie on the House, it's the first Saturday of the month. We bring in Julie to talk different departments of agricultural in Arizona. There are it's a $23 billion industry to the state, and uh, surprisingly enough, Arizona has a lot of number ones when we talk about uh, – you were talking earlier, number of tribal. Yes. Uh, the ag census is being conducted right now, and it winds down this year, and all the numbers will be released. One of our number one things we get to claim is we have the most uh, Native American farms here in the state of Arizona, and we're also number one with women as primary uh, owners of farms. Most of that is coming from the Navajo tribe because they're a matriarchal uh, culture. So it's a pretty neat thing for us to be able to say we're number one about those things, and that's all coming from the USDA Census of Agriculture, which, by the way, my farmers and ranchers listening today, if you haven't filled out your survey, please do because the USDA uses those numbers to tell our great story. And that's due when? Um, I think it's winding down in the next month or two, and then they compile all that data, and that's how they're able to say, share some of the most inf- interesting things that we can share. The agriculture census only takes place every five years. So, again, we're counting, we're gathering the data now, and they will release some of these exciting numbers in 2019. I'm looking at Romy and he's going, what is that? 
Well, it's a very well-known jazz composition by a guy named Herbie Hancock, and it's called, ready for this? Watermelon Man. Just for Charlie. I don't know. Charlie, I'm I'm not feeling it. This is, doesn't look like you. <laughs> I threw out the whole day in my pickup. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get it now that I've labeled you. Yeah. Now, on the fact you had sent me, interestingly enough, um, watermelons, they tie back to the first harvest around the, uh, the Egyptians. Yes, yes, and... Um, we can't claim being first on it, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised with as much Native American history as we have here in Arizona that way back when our Native American tribes were probably growing watermelon, too, because they did a lot of summer crops. We They had the corn and uh, some of the other, and, you know, the Hohokam even grew cotton. So maybe we can claim that 5,000 B.C. <laughs> timeline, too, with our watermelon here in Arizona. You never know. Well, I doubt any of the tribal leaders buried watermelon with right. their with but the, the Egyptians their... did. Yes, you are correct. Nourished in the afterlife, they would be the kings would be uh, buried with watermelon to take with them. At least they'd be hydrated, <laughs> sort of, go. kind of. <laughs> now, over that course of time, from five thousand years of, of watermelon growing and breeding and grafting and everything, it it was interesting enough. You'd said. Watermelons, it's just, the seedless one is 13th generation. generation, and that took over 50 years for them to figure that, that out. So it's, it's – of that first 5,000 years, it's only been in the last, what, 50, 60 years that this development and crossbreeding and the figuring out that it's the 13th becomes yeah. a sterile watermelon and then how – I think it was because the Egyptians had more fun spitting watermelon seed than the rest <laughs> of us. You had something to do to kill world. your time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, we had a caller from Tucson wants to know why seedless are not as sweet. Is that just something that, you know, well, you can't have uh, I, sterile argue, and sweet? <laughs> I'd argue that, that uh, they, they are just as sweet and sometimes even sweeter. I think it's a different flavor from the, from the seeded for sure. Um, but I guess I'm biased that, that we grow the uh, the sweetest watermelons out there. How many varieties do you grow on Russo's? Uh, they're just just a handful. Okay. Um, so we're you know, again we have the the one variety that we really hammer hard, and then uh, and then we'll have you know four or five others out there that we're, we're okay. testing. And then that personal watermelon. Yeah, <laughs> I like that one. No, that's a that's an, an interesting uh, deal. I think. Um, you know, in our window, we're, we're really, it's a summertime melon. You think of the big watermelon, the kids are around eat, eating that. Um, I think the personal melon has its place, uh, especially for some, maybe some folks that live live alone. Uh, they don't have to bring this huge 20-pound uh, melon in and, and try to consume it all before it goes bad. Um, but it, it, in, in our window, I think uh, we're, we're still heavy towards the, the, the traditional seedless. Okay. I don't see that changing. And Yuma, by the way, does a great job with the melons, too. Uh, so Maricopa County, we're certainly growing quite a few melons. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Russo Farms. But down in Yuma, we've got a lot of our farmers that are doing some of the summer crops and certainly the melons also. And this point I'm, I don't quite follow. 
so of all the, the different kind of crossbreeding and pollinating and uh, – but it also says, but watermelons aren't genetically engineered. Is, isn't crossbreeding genetically engineering? You know, yes. If you, now you'll get me on my soapbox. <laughs> I mean any type of crossbreeding or refined breeding, you're – it's – I always tell people I'm genetically modified. Right. <laughs> I've got a little Irish. I've got a little English. I've got German, everything. So um, to me, in a sense, it's – but I guess if you are real correct and you're using exact science language, they're not transgenically uh, modified. And transgenic – and because they've proven they probably don't need to, some uh, crops aren't requiring that. They're not being attacked by a huge virus or bacteria. And so uh, with most of your vegetables, if they're, if they're doing good with traditional type of breeding, the only reason we're using the biotech, which is another very important type of uh, breeding and farming, and it's reducing our pesticide use and everything else. Uh, so with some of those, I think we have 10 crops now that are transgenically modified, they they needed it. So that's why we did it. And um, all of it's, I always say in agriculture, we need small ag, medium-sized ag, large ag. Rousseau Family Farming or Farming Company is a lar- one of our larger, but it's a family-owned farm. And we also need organic, conventional, and biotech like my dad did when he grew cotton. So that I hope that kind of explains it, but um, probably because watermelon didn't need that transgenic type of breeding because they weren't battling some kind of fungus or virus or well, the, any of the produce that we grow is is not GMO. Um, now, their GMOs really more in, you can see more in your cottons and, and uh, more your staples like that. But um, yeah, they, I, it's all debatable. It, it has its place, I, I believe, but. Uh, the the at the end of the day we have to to service your customer and if right. they don't want GMO then you're not going to grow GMO right yeah and when we get back we're heading into bottom of the hour news we're going to talk about what to look for when you're in the store is there a special way to knock on the melon a special smell a special touch to know if it's ripe what's the shelf life of a melon uh, and if you've got a question one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight text is a great option four one one nine two three and we've got a special recipe from Jan Diotri. Good morning. You know who stopped in the studio this morning is Miss Jan Diatri. And you know what's perfect timing, Jan, because it is so hot this week. Lord, it's so hot. (laughs) I declare. I declare. And so what better way to cool off than to have a nice melon, right? Yes, exactly. I brought in the coolest cake. Did you ever? It's really hot. You know, you think about it. Nobody wants a bake, but I brought in a cake, and it's a watermelon cake, Jen. You know, they became popular a couple of years ago, and this is a naked watermelon cake. So warning, warning number one, if you Google naked watermelon cake, you're going to get something called warning, 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 because warning. You may enter some some trouble oh, areas online. Yes, the better deal is to come to either Jan's One Minute Kitchen or there, there Rosie on go. the House, our blog, because we'll yes. have it up and I'll put it on Facebook. So we've got three layers of mm-hmm. watermelon cake, and a lot of people don't realize that icing actually adheres really well to watermelon. Who knew? Who would yeah, try that? But there's a secret New. to it. So okay. what you do is mm-hmm. we we took a watermelon and I sliced it in three 
a tears. Now, can I ask you, this looks really round. Was it one of those really round? Did you start with a round? No. You no? know what I did is uh-huh. I took a cake pan. Oh, okay. And I just kind of measured it. I put the cake pan on the watermelon, and I cut okay. all the way around it to give it a big, beautiful nine-inch round. Then I took a six-inch cake pan for my second tier, and then I took a four-inch cake pan, and I just used that as a guide. So we've got beautiful tiers. It looks like a wedding cake. A it does look cake. like a wedding cake. Yes, exactly. And then... You take Cool Whip and a little bit of sour cream or Greek Mm -hmm. yogurt Mm -hmm. and mix it with my secret ingredient here. Which is? This is my go-to specialty. This is Hershey's white chocolate pudding. I swear by this. I put it in my cakes. I put it in my puddings. Just the powder? Just the powder. Okay. To thicken. Yes. Mix it together. Just maybe a tablespoon. Okay. Mix it together. Put it in a piping bag. And I piped around the the tears. And I've just got blueberries, strawberries, and kiwi. That's it. And some uh, cherries around the bottom. And I'm going to cut into this so you can see how neat it is inside. Okay. Cantaloupe and watermelon are huge industries in Arizona. I didn't realize how big. We're, well, we're one of the biggest in the country. If you're going to buy a watermelon or a cantaloupe, chances are it came from either California or Arizona. That's awesome. Watermelon drives $40 million worth of business. Cantaloupe, $100 million. $100 million yeah. just here in Arizona. Just here. But if you go to fillyourplate.org... You can find out which of our farmers produce it and where you can get it, and also some great recipes. The fillyourplate.org, Julie Murphy does such a great job with that. Now, here's two tips for you for the watermelon cake. A lot of people say, oh, I saw your recipe. I'm making it for company tonight. Don't do that. Don't ever try something on company okay. for the first time. Make one, and then you're always right, Jen. Yeah, you're right. always going to tweak it, or you're going to know how the recipe goes. Now, with the watermelon, get two if you can, because sometimes the watermelon—it's not solid inside. Maybe, yes. or maybe kind of mushy in the middle. Yes. And the second tip is drain the watermelon. Cut your slices. Let them set on paper towels on a baking sheet in the refrigerator for a couple of hours. All the liquid will drain out and all the sweetness will remain. So a cookie sheet, a bed of paper towels, probably three or four thicknesses? Exactly. And then put it on top. Okay, Mm -hmm. so I've just cut through. Look at Ah, that. Look at that. I've cut through three layers of the watermelon cake. Nothing is falling apart. Mm, I love (laughs) this icing. And it doesn't, you know, the icing doesn't fall off or drip. Just, mm, it's so good. And you guys can find the recipe on rosieonthehouse.com on our blog or on Jan Diotri's One Minute Kitchen. That's right. I'm going to be doing a One Minute Kitchen. It'll give you a step-by-step in one minute. And you should make this. It's so pretty. Any time of year, really. Thank you for coming by. Thanks for the tips on the cantaloupe and watermelon. Sure. And we're doing some research here. We haven't uh, linked watermelon to any kind of cancer-curing agent. I'm sure it doesn't doesn't hurt. <laughs> it, yeah, sure it doesn't hurt, but it it does lower blood pressure. So eat that Russo watermelon, and it or two. Uh, it or reduces two. <laughs> insulin resistance, which is something I didn't even know was a thing. But if you've got insulin resistance, this will help uh, naturally combat that. And after exercising, it's a muscle soreness relaxer, so it's a very relaxing and perfect time for. The Arizona heat, where you want to be relaxing. (laughs) Really, just having some sliced watermelon in your refrigerator when you come back from a workout. I've done that before, and it just immediately cools me down. I sometimes will do that before I even chug some water. I I didn't realize it helped with the soreness, but that that explains either I'm not working out hard enough or I'm consuming enough watermelon. (laughs) (laughs) We'll let you figure that one out. (laughs) 
We're joined with Julie Murphy from the Arizona Farm Bureau and special guest Charlie Montgomery from Russo Farming Company talking melons. It is the national um, July is National Watermelon Month. Um, when I go to the store and I've got you know those big cardboard crates and they're just full of melons, how do I pick the right one? Well, I'd, I'd start with the label on it first. It should be uh, either Majesty or Pacific. Um, in this window, that means it's our watermelon, so you're probably uh, probably good to go. No, in, in all so you seriousness, know it's local. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and that that's also you know Pacific. That's, that's a, Pacific is is one of our one of our marketers, and then um, uh, Five Crowns, who uses the Majesty label. Majesty, all right. Yeah, um, but yeah, when you look at the bin of watermelons, you you like to see a nice round um, watermelon with a, with good uh, contrasting colors of uh, um, a good yellow belly. Uh, creamy yellow yellow belly is how it's described. Um, when you when you knock on them, you want kind of a hollow sound, not a not a thud. Um, if you get kind of that thud, that'll indicate either like a hollow heart or um, it, or it could be overripe or underripe. Um, it, yeah, that, that that's the biggest indicator um, is that, that that knocking on it. And buy two, and then that way, if one's not ripe, then you get the there other you one. Go. <laughs> um, where can they find your watermelons? So we're in in, uh, in Arizona. We're in, in basically every every major chain. Um, and again, you you got to look for the label. on Two it. million pounds a day has it's to go somewhere. Go somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> when I get it home, um, how long how long a shelf life do I have? Um, you know, if you, if you're keeping it just you know on, on your counter, you, you you could probably sit it there for three or four days and, and be just the same as if you cut it the the first day. Um, the, the personal melons actually seem to hold up even longer. I, I've set them up there for a few weeks and cut them open. They've been just fine. Uh, but I highly encourage you to eat them quickly as soon as you get them, and then that way you have time to get another one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's fun to realize, because we were talking about the rind and, and the fruit inside, well, that means that 100% of the melon is edible, and that's including, we said, the rind, but also the seeds. So, And I know I've swallowed plenty of watermelon seeds. <laughs> so it's kind of good to know that it's all edible. Yeah. Refrigerate or unrefrigerate? I like mine refrigerated. Um, my, my wife, will she basically skins the watermelon and then, and then cubes it up, and then it's ice cold, puts it in the refrigerator where it's ice cold. Now, once it's cut up, we we do. But before yeah. then, can when you get it home from the grocery store, do you stick it straight in the refrigerator, or do you leave it on the counter? Uh, it's it's fine on the counter. Uh, you know, if your house is you know mid seventies, eighty degrees, it's it's going to be okay. Um, it's going to hold up better refrigerated uh, if you're going to keep it for a longer period of time. And what are the? Is there anything to know about the stripes on the outside of a watermelon? You know, it is pretty critical when you're doing snake identification. Right. You don't want to get the red and black and yellow yeah. color sequence Ooh. messed up. I, yeah. I promise up. it's not going to bite you. Um, quite quite the the opposite. Uh, you're going to bite into it. Um, but yeah, the contrast of, of the stripes, I think uh, I think that's a, a small indicator of, of, of how ready it is. They also say that stripes are an indication of variety. And since globally there's 1,200 varieties, and including the fact that some watermelons really don't have stripes, but the ones that we're more familiar with here in the States and certainly in Arizona, California, and Florida, um, by the way, the three top states for watermelons, that it's more of a variety issue too. And some, some of the international, so to speak, melons don't even have stripes. And what were those states again? Uh, the top ones are California, Arizona, and Florida. On big crops like that, it's rare that 
where we compete just because of the land size. Correct. But it's amazing what we're doing on such a small space. I mean, it amazes me that even on 1,200 acres, and I'm familiar with that size because the farm that I grew up on was a 1,200-acre farm, that even on that size that you can output 12 million pounds a day. We're, we're impressed by it every day. It just <laughs> amazes us. It really does. I mean, it, it, you see these guys out there cutting melons, and, and the, the, the cutters will go out, and they'll roll them, in, roll them into the furrows. And you see this huge line. At times, they're stacked on top of each other so that the ground's been very good to us and produces very well. But, but you got to take care of it. I was going to say, you take care of it. Right. Rotation's key. Now, if you find a watermelon you do enjoy, and obviously you couldn't do this with a seedless one, but let's say we we find a, a very good, very sweet, very juicy watermelon. Could I save those seeds, dry them out, store them till next uh, February, I believe you said you started planting? But you're transplanting in February, right. so you've started them so they're, they're about dropping. a month before. Yeah, they are. Um, yeah, on, the, on the seeded, that's that's uh, the idea is that you, you could replant those seeds. Seedless, of course, you, you can't. They're... They're not going to produce anything. The the 13th time you could have a seedless <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> so you could take those seeds and just put them in your garden and mm-hmm. hopefully that – one thing that I have always – and I've never had this happen, um, but I've always thought I'm going to run into a snake under the shade canopy of this watermelon. You know, he's going to be down here waiting for – rats or gophers or something coming seeking shade but i've i've never found a snake in a watermelon do y'all ever out in the crops run into them not, knock on wood i've i've never seen them out there either it, just, it, it, so i think it, that's it's something pretty you could hot add. this time of year so they're they're you know away yeah i, I think you could add snake deterrent to the there watermelon's list of benefits yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it works for me one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. We've got a couple of interesting questions that we'll see uh, the farmers input on them after this. Joined in studio with Julie Murphy of the Arizona Farm Bureau and Charlie Montgomery of Russo Farming uh, Farming Company. And Russo isn't just a melon grower. Y'all grow a variety of different crops on a variety of different fields all season long. Yeah. So we, we uh, produce a lot of um, what we call winter veg, wet veg items, um, you know, broccoli, cilantro, parsley, kale, um, carrots, cabbage, celery, whole, whole list of items. Um, some dry onions in, in the spring, and then roll into watermelons and sweet corn. Uh, sweet corn we do in the in the in the summer and, and the fall. Um, so yeah, we we've got something going on pretty much all the time. We're uh, our harvest window is you know about mid October, early November until first of August, and then other than that, we're prepping ground and we're back to planting and transplanting by the second week of August or so. And July is National Watermelon Month, and uh, perfect harvest we're right in the middle of two million pounds a day coming out of the russo farm alone that's just one farm that's that's one operation yeah i can imagine if you added up everybody that's producing right now what that what that number would be but but the deal is finding homes for all of them and uh it's working (laughs) how much of the watermelon weight is the fruit inside versus the rind yeah good question it's definitely uh weighted heavier towards the towards the internal side um you know, it's probably, I'd, I'd say you get a 80%, 90% recovery. Now, I see trucks 
with watermelons, you know, just piled in them. How much weight can you stack on top of a watermelon? We pack everything in uh, in two foot bins that are that are stacked three high. So, so there's about three tiers in in each bin, uh, depending on the size of the, of the melon. So you you definitely don't want to stack them too high. I, I wouldn't go any higher than you know two or three feet if, you know from the field level. And when you cut open a watermelon, what's the proper way? You said your wife dices them up, uh, or, or do you like to slice them and, and eat them right on? Um, I I love what she does, which is cube them up, and and then uh, you're not dealing with any of the outside. Um, but yeah, just when I go in the field, I cut it, cut it in half and uh, and eat the heart out of it and move on to the next one. <laughs> Quality control. Yeah, of course. You got to test. Yeah, yeah. This one's not ripe yet. Yeah. <laughs> Move on to the next field. Yeah. I like your story. You said your daughters thought that your main job was quality control with checking watermelons. Right. I'd, I'd take them out to the farm and drive them around and uh, and uh, go into the watermelon field because that's what they're most excited about. And and um, at the end of the day, that's what they thought I did was just check watermelons. Now, when we're talking two million pounds of watermelons, how many watermelons is that? What's the average weight? About three pounds, five pounds? Uh, about 16, 17 pounds in that range. 16 yeah, pounds per watermelon. Yeah, it'll go down to the smaller sizes can be 10 pounds, and a little bit less. Uh, the mini ones are much smaller than that. But then we'll have some that push up to 30 pounds. And someone in Tennessee with time on their hands in 2013 grew a 350-pound watermelon. Wow. So that's that's our challenge, Mark. I'd hate to be the pitcher on that one, trying to load that thing. Yeah. Uh, I wonder how many w- people that would feed. Tammy's got a question for uh, Mr. Charlie Montgomery on watermelon growing. Good morning, Tammy. Good morning. Hi, Tammy. My grandson really wanted to grow watermelon in the garden this year. So we put a couple of plants in the ground in April. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering about how long it takes for those to be ready to pick off of the vine, it's, it's a bit harder to tell if they're hollow when you can't pick it up and listen to it closely. Sure. Well, it, uh, planted in April, it's going to come off a little bit later. Um, you're probably looking in, in August, uh, yeah, probably around, around August. And, and one, one thing to look for is um, the indicator leaf that's just, just above the where the stem comes into the watermelon. As you start to see that dry up, um, that that's a that's a pretty good indicator at the field level to see if that watermelon's ready as well. Kind of the the indicator that the nutrients in the water and the photosynthesis into the watermelon have, that has stopped it's, and it's, it's, it's going to yeah. start dying on the vine if mm-hmm. you leave it there. Yep. Interesting. I never knew that. Yeah. Look for the leaf right yeah. above the melon. Yep. Charlie even told me you you feel like uh, checking the melon in the field, it's easier to assess ripeness versus in a store because you don't have that indicator. It, it helps me just, just knowing that. You look at the indicator leaf, the, the tendrils, that if they're dried up. Um, so you have those at your disposal to, to use. And then and then just knowing that you know that, that crown, crown cut, the first cut's going to come more out of the center of the bed and then you work your way out from there. It's, Did, har- it's harder when you get to the second and third cut. The, the guys that make our program are our cutters. They are amazing. They can go out there and find these these ripe watermelons, and, and they're dead on 99.9% of the time. Wow. Do you guys do pumpkins? We don't. We, I'm we, just curious. We did pumpkins at one time. They're, they're hard to grow in the valley here. We, we moved out of the valley to grow them at one time, and, and uh, it's, a, it's a challenging deal. So we, we stick with what we, in, our, in our little area and uh, with what we're good at. Julie, uh, at azfb.org, you've also got fillyourplate.org. What can 
Uh, tell us about the resources you all put there for the consumers. So we provide Fill Your Plate for our Arizona families because they're always asking us questions about the crops we grow and all sorts of things. We even have uh, seasonal charts that you can go to. But it's a searchable database of three different areas, your recipes, your direct market farm products, and also your farmer's markets. We probably have one of the most comprehensive lists of all the different farmer's markets throughout Arizona. And since it's mobile-friendly, if you're up in Prescott and you're spending the weekend there and you decide you want to go to a farmer's market before you hit the trails and go hiking, you can look up on Fill Your Plate and you'll be able to search for the farmer's markets in Prescott. Julie Murphy, always a pleasure. Charlie Montgomery, thank you for... Uh, taking time out of the farm and being here in studio with us yeah, this thanks morning. Thanks for having me.